Right, I'll do have Mark 4 open in front of you if you've got a Bible. and uh, Let's come and see what the Lord has to say to us uh, this evening. Well, the summer after I finished university, I worked for a recruitment company for a few months. Um, it was a while ago. Uh, it was the turn of the millennium. Uh, the dot-com bubble was expanding. And we were one of many companies who were trying to seize the moment, make our million. When I joined the company, there were, there were six employees. There were 12 when I left three months later. Christmas, there were 18. And by Easter, there were none. And there were two things I learned from my brief experience there. One was that if no one ever buys your product, you're not getting anywhere. And the second was that given the choice between working behind a computer screen or working with people, I would choose the people-facing job every time. Now, I'm not the most gregarious of people. If there's a spectrum from uh, loud to quiet, I'm definitely more on the quiet end of things. But that doesn't mean I'm not a people person. It doesn't mean I don't enjoy the company of other people. Now, why tell you that? Because the scripture we have in front of us this evening sees Jesus addressing a question that, that we might raise. Is God also not very gregarious? Is God a bit timid? Is God a bit quiet? Is God a bit backward about coming forwards? Or to put it another way, why doesn't God make himself clearer? Why does it seem like he's hiding so much of the time? You find yourself in conversation with a friend, colleague in the coming days, and you get to talking about what you went to, what you did at the weekend, about being at church. You can say this, I hope. We were asking, why doesn't God make himself clearer? Mark 4 is going to answer that question for us. Mark records eyewitness testimony of people who met Jesus face to face with him almost 2,000 years ago. People who had an experience that we don't have. But we have this written word. The same Holy Spirit who lives in our hearts led Mark to record what Jesus had said about how God makes himself known. This chapter is almost entirely Jesus speaking, talking about what he's doing in this world. And Jesus is quite the talker. So listen in, Jesus gives us a series of parables, stories, uh, designed to examine our hearts, to expose what we're really like, what's really going on inside us. And having told a few of those, uh, then in Mark, uh, verses 33 and 34, Mark summarizes what's been going on. He says this, with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He didn't say anything without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. So here's what he said. Verse 21 to 25 to start with. Here we see the word shines out. Here is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, asking a question. And his question is this, what do people do with a lamp? Now this isn't Jesus going all Marie Kondo 2,000 years ago. This isn't really about how you arrange your furniture One commentator notes that if you put a first century oil lamp under your bed, all that's going to happen is you're going to set your bed on fire. That's not a good outcome. But Jesus asked the question, do you you get a lamp and do you put it on a stand or do you hide it? And it's obvious, isn't it? A lamp is there to light the room. So what's Jesus talking about? Well, verse 22, he tells us there's, there's something that's been hidden. It's been concealed. But now it's meant to be disclosed. It's meant to be brought out into the open. 
What's he talking about? This is about Jesus' kingdom. It's about Jesus' good news. And the New Testament emphasizes the disclosure of Jesus having become a human being, something that hadn't happened before. The breaking news, the exclusive, the, the big reveal, the bringing out into the open of Jesus for all people groups in this world. Now, of course, Jesus had always been for, for people from anywhere. In the Old Testament, yes, God mostly made himself known to his own people. But there's countless examples along the way, women like Ruth and Rahab, or the whole population of the city of Nineveh in the day of Jonah, who had come to believe in Jesus too, who had been rescued and brought into a relationship with God. Jesus says, now we're, we're up in the ante. Now the lights are being turned up brighter. Here is God's posture, is to disclose himself, to bring himself out into the open. God is not hiding. He's being transparent. He's on the front foot with humanity. This lamp shining is Jesus Christ himself, a bright shining star on the pages of human history. He's not an attention-seeking celebrity, though. He's not someone noted for his brute physical strength like some heavyweight boxing champion. Jesus had no property portfolio. He wasn't marked by any political power. He wasn't an author. None of the books of the Bible were penned by him, although he's the focus of all of them. And yet this Jesus has shaped our world like no one else, perhaps even more than we realize. Elsewhere, Jesus calls himself the light of the world. He's the lamp, he's the light that shines in the darkness, making God known, and also enabling us to see everything else too. So if the question is, why doesn't God make himself clearer? The answer is this, he has. Just look at Jesus and you will see and know what God is like. And then in verses 23 to 25, Jesus gives the only direct instruction in this section of Mark's gospel. He speaks to those present that day and to all of us who can hear and read it now. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. And then even more directly, that those who are listening should consider carefully what you hear. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you and even more. You may not know everything. But it matters what you do with what you do know. Jesus tells people, he tells us, take seriously what we see and hear of him because his words matter. So if you've only yet met Jesus in passing, well, take note of that. If you've had hours, even years of time hearing about who Jesus is, well, act on what you've heard. And the more you know, the more there is to know and the more seriously you need to take that. Don't dismiss even a, a whisper of who Jesus is. Because if we won't listen to what he has told us, we may not get any more. The trailer's designed to make you want to watch the film, isn't it? To tell you whether it's something that you're prepared to give your time and your money to. Well, Jesus' approach here seems to be to, to give us a little of himself. To test out, are we receptive? Are we interested? You know the saying, it's interested people are interesting people. To get people to want to know you, you've got to go and ask them questions. Well, I've got to go and get to know them. And I'm no social expert, but it's helped me to work out asking questions of people. It's a bit of a lost art in our day, I think. Lost art because British people are quite reserved, generally. 
lost art because social media drives us to broadcast ourselves or to argue with people rather than listening and asking. Curiosity doesn't kill a cat. Lack of curiosity shrivels up the heart, doesn't it? And for being curious opens up vast horizons of awesomeness. And hear this, Jesus is very interested in you. And he'll come and he'll tell you a little of who he is to draw you out. Say, don't you want to know some more? There's, there's more to know. And we can ask our question, why doesn't God make himself clearer? Jesus says, he has, if you're prepared to listen. But now maybe the idea of, of this light shining, maybe that's scary to you. Because if the light shines, you'll be seen, and you don't want to be seen. You don't want to be exposed for who you are. Well, know this, the, the light that Jesus shines is, is a cleansing light. It's good to be brought out into his light. He doesn't expose you so he can condemn you. He exposes you so he can give you life. And maybe on the other hand, it's exciting, isn't it? And you encounter a little of Jesus, and it, it's like you're a moth drawn to the light. Don't lose that wonder. It's hard not to do something, isn't it? Turning the lights on changes things. Everything begins to look different. That's what happens when you get to know Jesus. But be warned, knowing Jesus isn't about being clever enough. It's not an intellectual thing, really. It's an ethical thing. It's a moral thing. It's not, are you smart enough to know Jesus? It's, are you humbled by him? See, God isn't playing hide-and-seek. Or if he is, it's like playing the game with a three-year-old who is wriggling and giggling behind the curtains, very much wanting to be found. So it is with God. So pray. Pray like Psalm 119. That God would incline your heart to his words. Because here's our natural state, isn't it? As human beings, we naturally lean away from what God says. So ask him, lean me towards you. You know the experience that this book, it's like the, the hardest book in the world, isn't it? To prize open. It's like the pages are glued together sometimes. And yet if you, can, if you can manage to open the pages of the Bible, then inside is the voice of Jesus. Inside you get to meet with him. As he speaks, as he walks off the pages into our lives. So pray that he would lean us towards him. Or pray like Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you. Can you ask him to make you more desperate for him? And if you're not, then pray that you would be. Come and praise him for, for what you know of him, however little that is. Enjoy him for who he is. More than that, for what he's done. We've sung already this evening of how he died on the cross for us. How he died the death that we deserve to die. To bring us to him, to make us God's children. Just delight your heart in who he is. I pray like Paul prayed for the first century church in Ephesus. He said, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation this, so that you may know him better. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit want you to know God better. 
He's not hiding. He's wanting you to know him. Pick up those prayers for yourself. See, the light isn't hidden. The lamp isn't under the bed with Jesus. No, Jesus came in to light up the whole room. Do you want to see what God is like? Look at Jesus. See how Jesus treated uh, the rich and the poor. How Jesus interacted with men and with women. How he met the suffering and the sinner. That's what God's like. There's not a different kind of Jesus, a different kind of God hiding behind Jesus. No, God is like Jesus is. Why doesn't God make himself clear? No, he has. Wonderfully in the Lord Jesus. And yet, as you embark on that conversation with your friend over lunch tomorrow or whenever it happens to be, here's the thing, isn't it? Kind of seems weak. Kind of seems weak to. God has made himself clearer. He's shown us who he is, he's shown us Jesus, and you think, is that all I've got? Jesus anticipates that we might feel that what we're offering people from the pages of the Bible in him is weak. And so he tells us two more parables. Parables to encourage us to keep going. Here's the second of the parables here, verse 26 to 29. The word grows all by itself. It goes something like this. Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like a seed scattered It's the same kind of image as the one with the parable of the sower at the beginning of this chapter. Again, about Jesus' kingdom, about Jesus' word. Just like he said in 4 verse 14, his word is a seed. But this time Jesus adds something different to the picture in verse 27. He says, night and day, whether the farmer sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he doesn't know how. Just all by itself, the soil produces corn. Whenever it is, uh, whatever he's doing, waking or sleeping, the seed just sprouts, it grows all by itself. It's the miracle of life in God's creation. The acorn that turns into a vast oak tree, the sperm and egg that become a human being. God has made this universe so potent with life. Utterly mind-boggling, isn't it? Unless you saw the evidence of it every day, which we do, you'd just never believe it. If you think it's really ordinary, step back and ponder it. God has made stuff just come alive. A seed dies, it goes into the ground, it produces life. Just like Jesus when he died and then came to resurrection life. I love this image. It's beautiful. It says the seed grows whether you sleep or get up. God's word is at work. It's the freedom to go to sleep. It means tonight I don't have to stay up all night worrying about whether this word is changing your life. It's not going to make it any more likely to be the case if I stay up all night sweating over that. Because the power isn't in me. It's in the seed. It's in the word that's planted. And so the challenge for me is to say, well, will I let this go? Will I just go to sleep in a few hours' time? Will I leave to the Lord to do his work in you and in me? He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the interaction of his word with your heart in his hands. And we know that Jesus sows his good news far and wide, indiscriminately, to all kinds of people, to all kinds of soil. 
And then having been clearly, warmly, persuasively sowed, the word simply needs to be left to grow. Someone's described it this way. The word of God does the work of God in the hearts of people. I'm in a rush. I've got plans. But God gets on with the growing on his schedule. There's a lesson there to be patient, to, to accept the mundane, the slow growth of God's word in people. It's tempting to, to be frustrated. You know, life rolls on. We see slowness of change in us or in those around us. God works at his pace. Last spring, I'd walk one of my boys home from school and he would spot daffodils that had broken off and were just on the path on the way home. Pick them up and say, can we give this to mum when we get back? And then he said, can we plant some ourselves? I said, we can try. But even my limited horticultural knowledge tells me it's going to take a while till we've got daffodils to give your mum if we plant the seeds now, if you plant the bulbs now. It takes time, doesn't it? Seeds are potent, but it takes time. And God's good news is even more potent, but it takes time. And that's something to believe, to, to trust what Jesus is saying here. But if you need evidence of how true what Jesus says is, well then, look around. Look at people whose lives have been changed by Jesus. And yet you have to wait. The work's in progress. Stuff's happening even if we can't see it. We live permanently with L-plates on, always learning. Changed and yet needing to be changed. Maybe that's hard, perhaps for you it seems like you're stuck. You're caught up in your sin, you've been there for ages. Not seeing the change in your life that you thought you would have seen. And it's frustrating and concerning. And yet still you're at church, you're interested in Jesus. Like how did that happen? It's the power of his word at work in your life. So the thing here to know is that Jesus and the seed of his word is hugely powerful. So even if you're not yet getting where you thought you'd be in following Jesus, it isn't because Jesus isn't powerful. It's not because his good news isn't powerful. It's not because his word isn't powerful. Now, this world is a world of powerful things. Big cranes and nuclear weapons and vacuum cleaners and smartphones and the good news of Jesus Christ who was crucified. More powerful than all of those things. Hear these words from the author Kerry Folmar, who particularly writes about how Jesus wants women to be theologically minded and grounded in the scriptures. She says this Do we need to uncover some mystery to a deeper, more personal relationship with God? Do we need our heartstrings pulled or a particular aesthetic experience? No, Jesus has already given us all we need for intimacy with Him. Every time we open our Bible, we sit at Jesus' feet. All of Scripture bears witness about him. So let the word be planted in the soil of your heart. Put it in your eyes by reading it. Put it in your ears by listening to it, especially in the gathered church. Put it in your mouth by speaking it, reading it aloud and singing God's words as we gather. And by all those means, God's word through your eyes and your ears and your mouth, will get down into your hearts. And opening a Bible might seem very weak. Speaking of Jesus might seem very weak. 
but it is dynamite for the soul. It's a spark to light a fire that will never go out. Or in Jesus' words, it's a seed bursting with life. Jesus has got one more picture for us. Verse 30 to 32. The word's small, but it grows big. Uh, The word is small, but it grows big. And Jesus adds another parable. It's another one about seed. This time he tells us this. What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? I love that Jesus reaching into the world that he's made. How can I get this across to you? What parable shall we use to describe it? It's like mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. And here the point is less that seed grows, and rather that the tiniest little seed can grow very, very big. It's a fatal flaw, I think, for a church to start thinking of church or the gospel through the lens of capitalism or materialism or commercialism. Speaking God's good news is not launching a product. It doesn't submit to business metrics. And the gospel looks weak. It's a weak message for weak people. It's a mustard seed. It's tiny. But if you follow Jesus, even for a little while, you'll have noticed that God tends to work through weak things. Through hardship and struggle. Through our limitations, our weaknesses so that he can show off his grace. God is a master of working with tiny, weak things to make things that are glorious. Here's how the 17th century follower of Jesus, Stephen Charnock, put it, and he wrote about the way God works in his kingdom. He said, people take great stones to build triumphal arches to celebrate their victories, like the Arc de Triomphe in Paris, that kind of thing, to go, we won, we're brilliant. God, on the other hand, God builds triumphal arches to his grace, to proclaim his grace, and he does it out of the mud and dirt of our lives. God takes the weak things, the little things, because that's how I'm going to show the world my grace. God embraces those who couldn't deserve anything good from him. He displays his infinitely free compassion by gathering us into his arms. He takes sinful, limited, weak, failing, weary, burdened people and calls us to himself. Saying, you're you're mine. You can have me. That's why I died for you. I went to the cross so that we can deal with all of your sin and all of your rebellion, all of the things that have gone wrong. And in all your sin, all your limitations... God wants to show you his grace. That's the gospel way. That's God's way. It's the mustard seed approach. Do you remember the dark days of the pandemic? Everything was different in church and nothing was different. Yeah, we couldn't for a while gather together physically and then we could, but then we couldn't sing. And yet through all of those times, still God's word was spoken to us. Still, we could continue to listen to the tiny mustard seed of God's word. And still, some hearts were hard to that, and some hearts were tender to what God said. And it was traumatic, and it was exhausting. And yet, the work of the gospel remained the same. 
God kept planting tiny mustard seeds of his grace in human hearts. And Jesus is open here with this image about how weak that looks. What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? It's like tanks coming in to take over the place. It's like a millionaire with all this. No, it's like a tiny little mustard seed. Not a wealth of knowledge, not a team of superstars. The kingdom of God is like the tiniest little seeds. That's what God's good news is like. That's what it was like in Jesus' lifetime here on earth. Sometimes the crowds flocked to Jesus, that's true, and then they deserted him. But he kept planting mustard seeds. And then we look back nearly 2,000 years later, and we get to see how vast his kingdom has become. Not playing a different tune, still proclaiming his grace, still marked by weakness, still moving towards the weak and the weary, and yet the world's been turned upside down. The fingerprints of Jesus have, have changed how we see everything in this world, haven't they? We no longer think that nature red in tooth and claw is good. We're appalled when people say we should promote the survival of the fittest and throw away the weakest. We don't think that the injustice of the post office horizon scandal should be tolerated. We get that it's awful at last. The kingdom of Jesus has made a world where we think that human rights and women's rights and equality and justice and progress are good. That's the tree that's grown from this little tiny mustard seed. The Greek and Roman world into which Jesus came valued none of those things. And yet billions of lives have been turned upside down. Over almost 2,000 years as people have turned away from sin and turned to the crucified Jesus who died for our sin. And so our expectations of life become completely different. Jesus says the mustard seed grows. It becomes the largest of all the garden plants with such big branches that birds can perch in its shade. The effect on our expectations of what's good in this world is one thing. But here's the best bit this mustard seed that you thought was nothing it becomes a shelter. It becomes a place to find shade. Let me take you back to the back end of the pandemic. Do you remember when we were allowed outside meetings? I can meet somebody outside. The gazebo sales went through the roof. Did you get one? I did. Big box came in the post, unpacked it, put it up, and it sheltered us from, from sun and rain for months. And then I left it up for too long, and the autumn winds shredded the thing. Jesus is better. Jesus is the better shelter. Shade from the, the beating sun of life in this world. Shade and shelter from the coming wrath because he died in our place. See, the little mustard seed of the gospel becomes all the shelter that you will ever need. Not protection from everything tough in this life, clearly not. But everlasting safety with Jesus. He's the one you're longing for. Every time you turn to sin for comfort and shelter at the end of the day. It's Jesus you need in that moment. Always.
Why doesn't God make himself clearer? He has. Oh, he has, and he does, and he will. Jesus is the light shining in the darkness. Look at him to see who God is. And as you go and share that with someone else, know that that Jesus is so full of life, like a seed planted in the ground, that all by himself he will produce life change in people, even in us. Even as you share Jesus with someone and it seems so weak to speak of him, know that Jesus specializes in weakness, in tiny seeds that grow to be vast. And he does it not to show off, but so that we might be safe, so we might be sheltered. And all you and I have got to do is listen to Jesus, to consider carefully all we have heard, one word at a time, allowing his good news to change our lives. Let me pray. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we were in the dark. We didn't know the way. We couldn't figure it out. And we love the darkness. We love being able to hide. And yet you sent your son into this world, the light, the shining lamp. And he changes everything for us. Father, thank you that that in your son you have made yourself clear that you can be known, that we can know you, that people around us can know you. And Father, we confess that often we find that to be weak. And yet, here we see that that's exactly the way that you work. From a tiny seed to abundant life, from the tiny, tiny seed to a shelter that protects us. Father, thank you that in Jesus we have all we need. We have the one we need. We have the one we can turn to. Father, thank you that he died in our place. That he's given us life. But now we can get to know you more. We can know you better. As your spirit works in us. And so we praise you. And we come to you in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.